Good morning. Man, I feel like I don't want to preach. I feel like we already heard the word and the gospel being preached, and I'm like, man, what's more uh, to say? But man, I'm excited to be here. Um, man, these pews aren't big enough. Like, like I wanted to get out and start dancing, and man, uh, uh, I was like, gosh, these pews are restrictive uh, to some of our bigger guys. But man, um, I'm glad I'm here at Mosaic Church. Man, what a honor, what a privilege, what a joy it is to be here. Um, I I uh, was talking to Malcolm, and he told me that I'm probably the first Asian to come and preach, uh, first Korean, and I'm like, yeah, let's do it. First yellow-skinned brother in the basement. That's, that's my brother, Jin, if you all know a little old-school rap. Um, but, man, I'm, I'm excited to be here um, and share God's word, and um, I'm so thankful for this body, and even though we are in different cities, that you guys are willing to partner with our church in Austin, that even though we haven't met, that we can call each other brother and sister and cheer each other on with the common goal to what? Preach and live the gospel, reaching the lost. Y'all can talk. Y'all can talk. I don't know how slim be preaching, but y'all can talk. And I, I, I just want to thank our brother Slim and his heart to really push back darkness and his heart for churches. Uh, a little bit about me. Um, do we have that picture? Yes, here we go. This is uh, my beautiful family, Christine, uh, uh, the big uh, boy right there. He's, that, that's when we took that picture when he was like six months old. That, that boy would be big. <laughs> Maybe a future bear, right? <laughs> I got I to gotta throw that out there. Um, and my two sons, Zeke and Zay, uh, funny story, uh, this summer we took a, a trip with uh, two boys, two college girls, uh, my wife and I, and two dogs, and we drove across the country to Massachusetts on a fundraising tour, and that's the picture. Um, so you can see, we're happy there, but it was, it was chaos. Um, and it's actually really crazy because that's when Slim reached out, and he was like, hey, bro, we want to partner with you guys. And that's where uh, we began to have conversations, and man, I just love you guys. You guys cannot imagine um, what a joy it is for me to be here in your support. And we're going to get into that a little bit uh, later. But recently, I planted a church in Austin, Texas, actually two weeks ago. Um, I planted the church two weeks ago, and I'm missing uh, the pulpit because I'm here <laughs> preaching to y'all. Uh, but uh, we, we planted in Austin, Texas, in a place called The Domain. Uh, if you guys are familiar with Austin, it's an outdoor mall. And it's really crazy because we, we get in there and at uh, 10 a.m., 10.30, and we worship and there's like nobody on the streets. Um, and then we worship and I commission our people out and literally there's hundreds and thousands of people there ready to hear the gospel, ready for us to evangelize that are not reached. And there's not a single church that is in this domain area. Um, but man, I really wanted to share uh, just a passage that means a lot to Austin Bridge. And I wanted to uh, review a passage in Joshua chapter six and the scene of God delivering the promised land to the Israelites in a victory over the city of Jericho. Uh, but before I do that, let me do a quick review of what's happening um, here. So I want us uh, to keep in mind what is happening here. And I want to set this up just a bit. Uh, the Israelites, they were in slavery in Egypt, and you see this great exodus as a leader rises in Moses. So they are wandering the desert for 40 years, and as that happens, uh, right on the cusp of them entering into the promised land, Moses, this leader that they were following, he passes away, and there's a shift of leadership as they are about to enter into the promised land that God has given them. 
So we see in Joshua chapter 1, we get a verse after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, and the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses is assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore arise, go over the Jordan, you and all his people, into the land that I'm giving to them, and the people of Israel, every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you just as I have promised Moses. And then... We see, take possession of the land that the Lord your God is giving you to possess. So the Lord your God is providing you a place. And in chapter 1, we hear God saying, be strong and courageous. Go. Be strong and courageous. And then in chapter 2, we see the Israelites who spy the land and send two spies. They come across a prostitute named Rahab who hasn't seen God or been in the camp. Say, I know that the Lord has given you the land and the fear of you has fallen upon us. And this is even before them crossing the Jordan that Rahab, a foreigner, knew the promise of God. That somebody from the outside begins to look and see what it means to be in the inside. And he says, truly the Lord has given all the land into our hands and also all the inhabitants of the land melted away before us. And we see this prostitute save these spies, someone who's on the outside, becoming someone who will eventually be the great-grandmother of Jesus. And then in chapter 3, we get consecrate yourselves for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. And we see this great miracle of crossing the Jordan and the Israelites entering into the promised land. And then in chapters 4 and 5, as they crossed over to the Jordan, we would think it's time to claim the land. But before that God commands Joshua, what does he do? He actually commands them to circumcise the men. Not kidding to observe Passover, and then a divine warrior comes. So think about this for a second, right? The people of God experience the promises through uh, Moses. They experience miracle after miracle. There's manna dropping from the skies. There's there's leader that is talking to the Lord and receiving commandments, handwritten commandments that start of their journey. They get to the Red Sea, and the Red Sea parts. And finally, where the promised land is being fulfilled, they experience the Jordan splitting, and they cross over and camp out, and a divine warrior comes. As he comes, notice it's not a command to get ready to polish the pistols, prepare for battle, pass the pump. You all didn't know that I was going to quote Tupac here, right? (laughs) But what does he do? The only thing they have to do is seize and walk in obedience to the Lord. This divine warrior comes and Joshua's moved to worship. You see, the promise of the Lord is that they will be victorious, They know that the victory is theirs, and in knowing that the victory is for them, the only thing they do is to seize and walk in obedience to the Lord. And that is a question I want to ask today. Do we walk in the victory of the Lord? Do we walk in the victory of the Lord? Do you walk in the victory of the Lord, in the faithful obedience that even when it doesn't make sense, that we as God's people will trust in the one who is victorious? Do you walk in that? Because here's the thing, Mosaic Church, this room does not make sense. I promise you that. 
The fact that we are gathered here in multicultural, multi-ethnic, that we are gathered here in different races, that an Asian brother can come preach the gospel to y'all, it does not make sense. But God's people need to trust in the one who is victorious. So let's get into the passage. That's just my introduction, so bear with me. (laughs) Joshua chapter 6, 1 through 7. Now... Jericho was shut up inside and outside because of the Lord of Israel. No one went out and no one came in. And the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have given Jericho into your hand and its, uh, its king and its mighty men of valor. You shall march around the city, all the men of war going around the city once. Thus shall you do for six days. Seven priests shall bear seven trumpets of ram horns before the ark. On the seventh day, you shall march around the city seven times, and the priests shall blow their trumpets. And when they make a long blast with the ram's horn, when you hear the sound of the trumpet, when all the people shall shout with a great shout, and the wall of the city will fall down, and the people shall go up, everyone straight before him. So Joshua, the son of Nun, called the priests and said to them, Take up the Ark of the Covenant and let the seven priests bear seven trumpets and ram horns before the Ark of the Lord. And he said to the people, Go forward, march around the city, and let the armed men pass on before the Ark of the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Now, I want us to think about what is happening here, right? So it's time to get going, and they're like, okay, cool. So they get geared up. Like if it was me, I would put my J's on. I would, you know, gear up. And J's are Jordans, if y'all don't know. Um, and, <laughs> and I would, and, and think about this for a second. So they gear up, and what do they do? They take a stroll around Jericho. Now, after the first day, they might be thinking, oh, yeah, uh, okay, this is, this is what we're doing. We're, we're showing off. I like this plan. We're intimidating the, the people in Jericho. Like, it's like that basketball player who wears a sleeve and, you know, that's all tatted up and you think he's good and he's wearing the shoes, but, you know, he, he just can't ball, right? <laughs> and you think, right? So they go around Jericho and they walk and in their minds, they're probably thinking the next day, surely it's time for battle. All right, I like this strategy, Joshua. I got you, I got you. Um, but think about this. But God's command to Joshua is what to do this for six more days. Okay, then What? And then there were priests who were geared up, and on the seventh day, the priests, and um, they want to blow and, and make a loud noise and a ram's horn. And Joshua probably is thinking, surely this is now our time to attack. But what does God say? When they hear the horn, I want everyone to shout. And Joshua is probably thinking, okay, great, it's time. But the Lord says what? And when you shout, what the walls will fall. Now, I can't imagine being Joshua here telling your commanders that this is the plan. Think about that. If Slim was like, hey, guys, go around Waco. I want you to walk around Waco every single day. You guys would be like, no, bro, that's that's a lot of walking. And think about this, right? Let's be reminded, the Israelites, they were, it says that in, in an earlier chapter, they were circumcised and they had to heal. And if I was stuck at home, being the leader that I am, you know what I'm going to do. I'm going to strategize. I'm going to strategize. I'm going to sit there trying to heal and do these things. And I'm going to strategize like, okay, this is how, you know, we're going to take Jericho and all these things. And you can, out of thousands of scenarios and schemes and game plans, try to strategize. But walking around the city for six days and on the seventh day, doing it seven times and shouting would never be an option. 
Because in fact, if someone told me to do that, that's what we should do, I probably would mock them or lose all respect for such a foolish plan. But yet, this is what the Lord commands Joshua. And it's as if God is saying, I am giving you victory. And I, it is not by your sword, but my sword. I will grant you that victory. Now, think about what kind of faith it takes for this to play out. It takes faith from Joshua to tell the Israelites this master plan that is from the Lord. And Joshua that probably says to them, okay, guys, gear up. That's my Joshua voice. Okay, guys, gear up. Uh, we're ready for battle, right? That's not how he spoke, by the way. And Joshua's commanders who say, okay, Joshua, the men are ready. And think about this. They might think like, okay, I think we should take the south gate when the sun is at the highest because at that moment the sun will be in their eyes and, and behind us and we can attack then. And Joshua's like, nope. What we're going to do is we're just going to march around the city. And in fact, verse 10 But Joshua commanded the people, you shall now shout or make your voice heard. Neither shall any word go out of your mouth until the day I tell you to shout. So not only do they march, but they do this in silence. And they go back to camp. Now, the second day, Joshua has to tell them again, gear up, we're going to battle. And hey, Joshua, you know, like, uh, you know, I'm rethinking this, and you know, great plan, we, we showed off who we are. Uh, let's actually, you know what, let's attack in the morning, right? There's fog right now. We can be hidden. A surprise attack. We can be ninjas. They, don't, they won't know what's coming. And what does Joshua say? No. We're going to march around, sound the horn, but not a single sound. And Joshua needs to give these orders for six days straight. And again, I couldn't imagine being in Joshua's shoes. The people of God may have doubted his leadership. By the third and fourth and fifth, sixth day, they probably are questioning him. And is he crazy? Did God really speak to him? Like, man, Moses to this guy? No way. And they began to doubt his leadership. But day in and day out, Joshua's not shaken or scared. He gives the command to the Israelites, knowing what the promise of victory is not from him, but is from the Lord. Now imagine the Israelites. Day one, okay, I trust your leadership. Day two, my feet hurt. Day three, my Jordans are dirty, bro. Like, come on. I guess we'll walk again. Day four, like, Jericho be mocking us now. They ain't scared. And doubt may have really crept in. But you know what um, we are going to do is we're going to wake up, we're going to get ready for battle, and we're going to do it again. Day five and day six. And the people of God, right, this is one of the rare times, are faithful, knowing that the promise of victory is not from them, but it is from the Lord. So the Israelites and Joshua both act in obedience and faith, knowing the outcome and the victory is theirs. Knowing and trusting is not the circumstances they trust, but it's the who that they trust in. And that God is a God who delivers on his promise. The promise is victory. Brothers and sisters, do you trust in your circumstances or do you trust in your Lord? Church, do you believe that the victory is yours? Because if you know that if the victory is yours, it does not matter what circumstances you are in, but you know that the victory is yours. And if that is true, you can walk in obedience knowing that God will deliver. 
And I know, I know that the last two years have been hard. I know that you're asking God, how much longer do I need to do this? You're asking those questions, but yet the Lord has claimed victory over your life. Do you believe in that? Things may not make sense and the world may laugh at you, but where the Lord begins to move, things do not need to make sense because he is God over every situation. See, the Israelites knew that the promised land was theirs, but they also knew that in the sovereignty of God to receive the promised land, that God's will for them was to walk in obedience and faith, even if it doesn't make sense. Do you hear that? That they still had to be faithful and walk in obedience to God. And when we, as God's people, walk in obedience and faith, the community around us experiences God. Do you hear that? When we walk in obedience and faith, the community around us experiences God. Yes, the promised land is theirs. It's free, but yet they still have to go and seize it. God is delighted in the obedience of his people that say that they trust in him. Do you trust in him? There's something about you guys going to community group, that you guys sacrifice your Sunday mornings to be here, that you guys will fight for community, not just find community, that you guys will do these things and the faithfulness of that that will make Waco a better city, that Waco will make a better state to a nation, to the world. I believe in that. Do you trust in him? I know that this is a little bit of an older illustration, but um, a couple, couple weeks ago, I mean, last week was a Super Bowl. Man, it's already been last week. Um, and um, I don't know if you were following along with the stories, but the Bengals kicker, um, before the Cincinnati Bengals uh, were into the AFC Championship in the divisional round, uh, there was like a couple seconds left on the clock, and uh, this kicker lines up. And it's the divisional championship game, and the kicker looks at his team before he makes the kick, and he's like, hey, guys, looks like we're going to the AFC championship. And he goes up, and he, boom, he drills the, the field goal, drills it, and Cincinnati wins that way. The next game, the AFC championship, they're playing in Arrowhead, and if you guys know anything about football, that's a hostile place to play. And it's an overtime game, and it comes back down to the kicker. The game plan changes because why? They believe and have faith in this kicker. And the punter goes up to the kicker this time and says, looks like we're playing in the Super Bowl. And the guy goes, boom, he drills it. It's a rookie, 22 years old. And that's how they got into the Super Bowl. Crazy. Obedience to the things that are silly it doesn't matter what you look like because you know the Lord begins to move and that's where you want to be. The whole team was able to corral and know that the victory was theirs. And because of that, the people of God experienced God. There's encouragement. There's encouragement in Joshua giving the orders and people obeying. Or it's this Mosaic Church where you guys have a value of being a gospel-centered community that is multicultural and spirit-led. That in such times where we live in such segregation, that there is something that happens when the people of God are gathered and we get a fuller picture of what? The kingdom. 
That every single Sunday that you guys are gathering here and, and, and we're singing these songs, that's a taste of heaven. The world may say that it doesn't make sense, but to stand for justice and to take Waco by storm by pushing back darkness, to adore Christ, apply the gospel, and act with mercy and justice, that the city of Waco will be flipped, turned upside down, and a place to be known as a reflection of what we get in heaven. See, your faithful obedience to keep your eyes on Christ and keep marching on, on, um, has eternal implications. And I know, like, when there's somebody else preaching from a different city, they come, and what illustration do they always make? You guys can talk. <laughs> they, they talk about, what, Chip and Joanna, right? <laughs> yeah, ugh. But here's the thing. I ain't going to make an illustration. That's what Waco's known for, but that is not what Waco should be known for. And I believe I believe that Waco will be known for a place that's wildly for Jesus. And it starts here in your faithful obedience. Because walking in obedience and faith is putting our trust in something that is greater than us. So the Israelites began to walk in obedience, even if it seems foolish, that God begins to work in his will, even if the world does, looks at us and it is foolish. And what happens? The great victory. Man, I've got to stay hydrated. <laughs> The great victory. So we see the great victory in 15 and 17. And it says this. On the seventh day, they rose early at the dawn of day and marched around the city in the same manner seven times. And it was only on that day that they marched around the city seven times. And at the seventh time, when the priests had blown the trumpets, Joshua said to the people, Shout, for the Lord has given you the city. And the city and all that is within it shall be devoted to the Lord's destruction. Only Rahab the prostitute and all who are with her, house, her in her house shall live because she hid the messengers whom we sent. So as the Israelites walk in obedience to the impossible God began to move. And notice here it's the battle cry of the people. The voice of the people are being displayed in verse 16. And the voice of the people were displayed almost as if there's a celebration and worship and victory. See, the Lord's will is to use you for his kingdom. That is a role. And here on the seventh day, the mission and the vision of the people were aligned and united. This shout was something that was unified in all of the nation. Now think about this, right? If that was me and I was marching and doing this over and over again, when he told me to shout, I'd probably be like, yeah, woo, I have to do this tomorrow, yeah. That's what I would think. But that's when God's people hear from the Lord and go out in obedience and faith, and they do not make a wimpy cry. They let the whole world know the victory of the Lord. They shout, unified. Unified. Because it's the Lord who does the work. There's a unified cry. And think about this. This Mosaic church, as you guys begin to reflect and as you guys begin to ponder and think about what this church represents, be unified. Be unified for the gospel. Think about it. In a lot of ways, it's like church planting. You know, you guys are three years ahead of us, but I understand. And you all understand. Right? It's crazy because we are here 
you know, in the middle of COVID and deciding to church plant in the domain. And now, to be honest, a lot of people have told me that domain would be one of the hardest places to plant, and it is. Like, even rental space alone, there's clauses with, like, businesses that say anything can come in here besides a church. So we couldn't find rental space. No one wants to, and then, and then literally, like, stores wouldn't allow us to come in, and that's why not a single church meets in the domain area. No one wants to visit a new church in the middle of a pandemic. Uh, finances are going to be impossible. But it's the fact that we as God's people heard the call to plant a church in the domain that we get to launch Austin Bridge. And it's your call and your walk in faithful obedience to give and to partner with us that we are actually planted in the domain. Now think about this, that your faithful giving gave to a church plant that is planted in the domain. And already, we planted two weeks ago, and two people already have come to know Jesus and will be baptized. That is because of your faithful obedience to give and to partner with us. There's nothing to do with us as Waco and Austin. I don't know what y'all think about Austin. I know what I think about Waco, but, <laughs> but, yet, but yet we can partner with one cause. It's because of the unified mission that are not about planting a church, but about planting the gospel that we are here today. Partnering from Waco to Austin. You guys are not just a church plant. You guys are a planter of the gospel. That as you guys adore Christ, apply the gospel, and act with mercy and justice, and keep your eyes on the gospel, that God begins to show the whole world his greatness, that you will walk in faithful obedience even if it doesn't make sense. And here's the beauty of what it means to walk in obedience in faith to God. See, to the rest of the world, this plan is foolish. This is not how you conquer enemies. But because of the faithfulness of God, people, the saving grace is, in faith is displayed. We see the promise being fulfilled as a whole city would fall and crumble except for one part of the wall, the house of Rahab, where her faith would not just save herself, but what? would save her whole household. Faithful obedience, her whole household is saved. See, God works and does the impossible because why? It's his name that is displayed for all to see. There is this ideal of an upside-down kingdom that God does the unexpected and delivers his perfect will. And here's this thing. Even if the world will look at it and say it does not make sense, it does not matter because we trust a God that is bigger than making sense. It doesn't make sense that they would walk around seven times, but it also doesn't make sense that God would send his son, who is fully God, to become fully man, that the son of God would be born in a manger where animals live. It doesn't make sense that the son of God would have no home and be a nomad to the very thing he created. It doesn't make sense that the Son of God would dine with prostitutes, the sick, the weary, and the broken, performing healing after healing. That it's these people who were outcasts and nobody wanted anything to do with, that it's the Son of God that would go to them and that the Son of God would make them clean and he would not be unclean. 
It does not make sense that the Son of God would weep at the death of someone he loves in Lazarus, knowing that he's going to bring him back to life, but in sorrow and knowing the penalty of death because of sin that he weeps. It doesn't make sense that the Son of God would kneel and wash the feet of his disciples, every single one of them, even the one who will betray him. It doesn't make sense that the Son of God would be on trial for being innocent and sentenced to death as people who love him say, crucify him. It doesn't make sense that the Son of God would carry his cross on a hill and be nailed on it. It doesn't make sense that the Son of God would pay for the penalty of sin by becoming the perfect sacrifice and on the cross because of our sin is on him. The Father would turn his face away from the perfect son. It doesn't make sense that the Son of God on the cross would breathe his last breath and say, it is finished, that the Son of God would die. That God would send his one and only Son to die for us. But here's the thing. You know what does make sense? Trusting in a God that is greater than making sense. Y'all hear that? But you know what makes sense? Trusting in a God that is greater than making sense. That the God would love you so much that he would send his son. That Jesus' heart was not for the perfect, but for the broken. For you and me to meet with the outcast and the broken. That Jesus would call the unworthy because of what he makes them worthy. That Jesus would raise Lazarus because he knew that death would not have the final say. That it's Jesus who would kneel and humble himself, displaying love by serving. That because of the penalty of sin that is paid on the cross, that if you put your trust and faith in him, that he received our penalty in full, that we get to walk in freedom. That it's the son of God that would be forsaken, that we would never be forsaken. And that Jesus would die on the cross and say it is finished, but on the third day, he would conquer sin and death once and for all by resurrecting. That we, as a church, now the victory is ours. That we get to live in the victory that says death has lost its sting and there's salvation for those who trust in Jesus. Does the victory of the gospel propel you to walk in obedience knowing the victory is won? That God is faithful. That all we need to do now is walk and trusting in that obedience, even if the world says it doesn't make sense. Because yes, it doesn't make sense because we worship a God that is not small. We worship a God that can part seas, drop manna from heaven, cities crumble with just marching around seven times, that would love us so deeply to send his son to die for us that now we receive life. Mosaic live in that victory. Let that victory be the battle cry of your church for the whole world to hear. Be unified. That you guys live in confidence knowing who it is you trust. That you as a church that lives in the victory of the gospel, that people will hear your unified battle cry of making the name of Jesus known for all to see. That people and households would come to faith because of the obedience of faith we walk in today. That you take the call to walk in obedience. 
that we can trust in a God that is not bound in making any sense because he is forever faithful. I love you guys. Let's pray.